Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. How are we doing today, church? So good to see you on this graduation promotion weekend. Uh, I want to welcome all of the campuses, and I want to say to all of the campuses, I know it's already been said here, but I just want to say it one more time. Today, 5.30 p.m., come on out. If you're on the fence, man, you've been thinking about getting baptized, but you've been hesitant, you need to do it today. Quit putting it off. Let it be your public profession of faith. Baptism does not save us. Only the grace of God saves us, but it is like this wedding ring. It is a public symbol, a public profession of my faith in Jesus Christ. So come on out. And lastly, listen, it's not just for those who are getting baptized. Man, the, the, the sacrament of baptism and Holy Communion belongs to the church. Amen? So let's come out and celebrate those who are going to do that. We're going to have ice cream, music. It's just going to be a great, great day. Hey, um, do any of you uh, ever go online or have you ever seen any of these videos where Kids, I, I've seen some with kids, they, they think they're getting a gift. They think they're getting one thing, but then when they open it up, they actually discover that it is something entirely different. Another way of asking that would be this. Have you ever thought you were getting one thing and you were so, so excited about it, but it turned out that you got something entirely different, something that you were not looking forward to? Last one I saw was a kid. He had made it clear to his parents that he wanted an Xbox for his birthday. And so he started tearing into the wrapping paper. And when he took off the wrapping paper, he saw the box and it said, Pottery Will for the entire family. I mean, have you ever been there? He, he stomped off. He got mad. He slammed the door. He, he left the room. Come on, have you ever been there? Ladies, maybe ladies, maybe you're married to a man who, and I speak this from the perspective of a man. I know we're not the best listeners in the world. Maybe you're married to a man, and I don't know, maybe you let it be known over and over and over that you wanted this specific pair of shoes for your birthday. And your birthday came, and, and you opened up the, the gift, and lo and behold, when you first saw it, you thought, yes, he finally got it. Right size box and everything. You opened it up, you took the wrapping paper off, and there was a bullet. <laughs> for drinking smoothies instead of eating food. Guys, right here, time out. Time out, guys. Don't do that. <laughs> That's not a good move. Or, or maybe, come on, it goes the other way. Ladies, you're pretty special, but you sometimes mess up too. You, you know, your, your man just hypothetically has kind of let you know, you know, I really would like an iPhone. And he, he lets that know, he drops that here and there, and his birthday rolls around, or Christmas or anniversary or whatever, and he gets the gift, and he opens it up, and again, it looks like the right size box. But he gets into it, and you've bought that mug some nose hair clippers or something. <laughs> I mean, have you, ever, have you ever thought you were going to get one thing, and then you get something entirely different? Have you ever thought... Something was going to be one way, but then when you experienced the reality of it, you found yourself very disappointed, maybe even disillusioned. Hey, may maybe you're a recent graduate. Maybe you're a high school graduate, 
excuse me, college graduate, whatever the case may be, and you, you went to college or you went to high school thinking it was going to be one way. You had high, high dreams, high hopes. You were excited. You anticipated great things. But when you got there, it was something very different. Come on, let's just honor it's just honor. I think we've probably got some seniors in here. If you're a high school or a college senior at any of our campuses and you have recently graduated, can I just see a hand pop up wherever you are? Come on, hands pop up. Yeah, that's hands, 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 hands. Give them some love. Congratulations. All up, up there, yeah. Hey, maybe you had dreams when you got out of college to, to step into a career and you had high hopes. And you had dreams and you had anticipations and expectations. And then you started unwrapping the vocational gift of your life. And it kind of was found wanting, if you know what I mean. Hey, here's, one that's, here's one that's probably the most popular one I hear from people all the time. Maybe you had high hopes, big, big dreams for your marriage. And you stood at the altar, and it was awesome, and it was everything you dreamt it would be. I don't know if it was a brick church for you or a little white country church or whatever the case may be. And you had these amazing dreams, and the service was wonderful, and the honeymoon was wonderful. But then you got back to life, and you started tearing open the gift of marriage. You started unwrapping it, and if I've learned anything in 20-something years of marriage, I've learned that, that unwrapping marriage takes a lot of time. And, and maybe you unwrapped it, and over the years, you just kept unwrapping it. And the truth is, you find yourself highly disappointed. Highly disillusioned. Welcome to chapter 9 of the story. Welcome to all of the campus locations. And I must tell you, and this is going to be a weird thing for you to hear from a pastor, but to hear my heart. One of the things I love so much about this story today is the mysterious absence of miracles. Like, I love the miracles of God, right? And I love when God struts his stuff, amen? But one of the things I love about this passage today is that it is so earthy. It is so gritty. It is so real and true to life. I mean, there's no, there's no parting of the Red Sea here. There, there's no voice coming from a burning bush. There's no manna dropping from heaven. There's just a story of some beautiful people who experience the hardships of life. Many hardships of which you can deeply, deeply resonate with today. I'm so glad you are here. We're in a story Studying Genesis to Revelation. And today we're in Ruth. And if you did your reading, and I sure hope you did. If you didn't, go finish it up today. But remember, try to read before you get in here. And if you're new, go to the Resource Center. We would invite you into this. But take out your teaching notes. And let's go get this today. We're in a story where there's a husband by the name of Elimelech. What's his name? A bunch of biblical scholars. He was married to Naomi. And Naomi, if you're a note taker, write this down. Naomi means pleasant or sweet. It means pleasant or sweet. And it seems to capture Naomi's life early on. 
Everything seems to be nice. It's going well. She felt wonderful on her wedding day, and her husband was strong, and they commit to live their lives together for the long haul. And they have two sons, two boys, and life is well. But it's right about there in the biblical narrative that a severe famine hits their land. And I must say that for most of us here today, it's hard to relate to a famine. We're postmodern Western people. I mean, listen, guys, we are spoiled beyond spoiled. I don't care how bad you have it in America. You got it good. And the famine hits the land. And so for you to try to kind of wrap your mind around this, let me just kind of do some sketching here for you to just kind of try to enter into the story. Imagine you're, you're married and you're, you're at home and your husband comes in. And you can immediately tell something is wrong. He's just a little off. Something is not right. And, and you try to talk to him about it. But you can tell very quickly he doesn't really want to talk about it. He goes into the, into the den, if you will, the family room. And he, he cuts on the TV. And you walk in there and you try to carry on conversation with him. And again, you, he doesn't really want to talk to you about it. And you can tell he's not really watching the television either. You figure maybe he'll talk to you about it later and you go on about your business. And later that night, you're laying in bed. The tension is as thick as you can imagine. Finally, out of the darkness, he says, honey, I got, I got laid off today. They let me go. And you said, because you're, you're a good, supportive wife and woman, and you said, hey, it's going to be okay. Maybe you've been working, and we can make it on our own income, on one income. It's going to be okay, honey. You said all the right things to encourage him, and you kept telling him, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. We're, we're going to get through this. It'll get better. But it doesn't get any better. And the days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, and the months turn into years. And finally, you decide, you know what? We need a fresh start. You decide, hey, this geographical location is not going to do us any good. So you just kind of get up and you move. Maybe you're here, and that's your story. Maybe you, maybe you landed in the Carolinas because you needed a fresh start. And you get up and... And you take your family and you leave because you've lost everything. You go into the bedroom at night to pray over your boys. And you can't hardly hear yourself pray because their stomachs are growling due to the hunger. This famine was severe. And they get up and, and they, they, they leave the promised land. They leave the land they were deeply connected to. I mean, you know what it's like, don't you, to be connected to a land, a state, a city? I mean, it doesn't matter how hard your upbringing was. If you're anything like me, when you, when you cross the county line and you enter your hometown, there's something about it, right? There's something special. And so they get up and they, they leave the promised land. I, I, was, I went to Buffalo, New York this week. Buffalo, New York. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> One person over here. Have you ever been to Buffalo? I have never been to Buffalo. I, I was going to Buffalo, and there's a family in our church, the Ransbury family, great family. And, and I, I knew that that was their hometown. And so I said to them, I said, I'm going to Buffalo. Hook a brother up. Ran into him at the, at the football field one night. said, hook a brother up. I thought I would just get a text or two later, right, that would walk me through a restaurant or two or something like that, like don't miss the Niagara Falls, you know, something like that. A few months later, he hands my assistant 
a three-ring binder. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. No, no. 38 pages of notes on Buffalo. I mean, it was awesome. I took him up on his restaurant suggestions. I mean, it was incredible. But as I was in Buffalo this week and looking over his binder, because I didn't open it until I got on the plane, and I opened it up, and I'm studying this text, and I'm thinking, oh, my word, his promised land was Buffalo. <laughs> like, I'm a Carolina boy born and bred. I got to Buffalo, and I ate at his restaurants, and they were great in Buffalo. I was ready to get home. But I realized Buffalo was his place. Those were his people. And Ruth and Elimelech, or Naomi and Elimelech, leave the promised land. And they go to Moab, a pagan culture. And the unthinkable happens. Not only did they leave the disappointment of the famine and leave their people and their place. They land in Moab and Elimelech gets sick. And he gets weaker and weaker and weaker and he dies and there Naomi is with her two sons she's a widow and life is hard and she now has two losses under her belt she's lost her homeland she's lost her people and now she's lost her husband some of you can connect but then her two boys meet two Moabite women and things start to get better and all of a sudden her two sons die. It's loss after loss after loss. These are tough times for Naomi. She has been dealt a very difficult hand in this world and it is Hard. You talk about maximum stink. Life is not what she envisioned it to be. And some of you are sitting here today and maybe, I don't know, just maybe you can relate. Homeland, gone. Husband, gone. Sons, gone. Edgar Jackson puts it like this. He says, grief is a silent knife-like terror and sadness that comes a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone that is no longer there. Grief is, is the emptiness that comes, come on, when you eat alone after eating with another for many years. Some of you can relate. Look at what else he says. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who has died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different. When you know they are not and they never will be again. told you I love this passage. You know why I love it? Because it's true to life. Some of you are sitting here today and your loss inventory is so long. And if I can just be honest for a moment, confessional, I think 
I think the church has not done a good job of talking about these kinds of things. I think the church and our church, guilty as charged right here. I think the church can, can be all about celebration and upbeat and excitement and inspiration and encouragement. And it should be. But I believe what we miss sometimes is the grittiness, the earthiness, the painfulness of life. She's been dealt a very difficult hand. And I think we as a church would do so well today to actually enter into the story. Not a lot of woohoo today. This is painful stuff. Some of you get it. Some of you get it. Some of you are sitting here right now. I can already see tears falling from some of your faces. You get it. Others of you are so young and so naive, you're thinking, man, this doesn't relate to me. Come on, come on, right here, you and me. Write this date down and underline it in red. There will come a day when loss will happen in your life. There will come a day when pain will come knocking at your door. There will come a day when you lose loved ones. There will come a day when the reality of life slaps you right upside your face. And you better go to school on biblical passages like this. It will happen. I prophetically declare it over your life. Not with joy do I declare it, but I can promise you. This is life. This is what it means to live in a broken world. One of my favorite poems is a poem by the name of Broken. It says this. Do you see the pile of wood chips on the floor? That's what is left of the life I had before. When I was loved by you with all of your heart. When passion awoke and played its part. Our oneness and purpose, agreement and thought. Our love was something that could not be bartered or bought. It seemed to be perfect to have heaven's blessings. Each word, each gaze and touch was a form of caressing. I never had known such love before. Now all that remains is that pile on the floor. It looks to others like I'm doing all right. They don't see the wood chips of crying at night. My family and friends think I'm doing okay. The wood chip is hidden of my struggle each day. So many chips in that pile on the floor. Emptiness, loneliness, disappointment, and more. There's this big pile of wood chips in the middle of the floor. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear a poem like that. But I think of a song that we love to do around here called Glorious Ruins. It's a song that talks about the fact that God takes the ruins of our lives the ashes of our lives, or in the words of this poem, the wood chips of our lives. And God is a God who can take that and actually make it glorious. If we'll actually learn what the Bible is teaching us today. So Naomi decides that it's time to go back home. She's had enough of Moab, if you know what I mean. Some of you have been in Moab a long time. She decides it's time to go home. She gathers her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. 
And she says, you guys stay here. Maybe you can have a good life here. Maybe, maybe you can meet another Moabite. Man, you stay here. I got to go back home. Orpah says, all right. Ruth says, I'll have nothing of it. And in the passage that you'll see on the screens, I want us to read it out loud together. Ruth 1.16. The Bible says this. Ready? Go. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Let's continue. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be. You've heard that before, haven't you? <laughs> Most of you have heard that at weddings. As a pastor who presides over weddings, I get asked to do all kinds of things. And I often get asked to let couples read this passage to one another. And I think, oh, you don't know what kind of mistake you're going to make. <laughs> I do. I think these things. But, but you learn what battles to fight in this world, right? And what battles to just let go. So I watch them. It's happened many times. And they look into each other's eyes. And she says, where you go, I will go. <laughs> And he says, where you die, I will die. And she says, I'll be buried with you. And I'm sitting there thinking, bless your heart. I mean, why, why correct them? You know what I'm saying? But, but if you really want to be true to that passage, here's what would happen. We'd get to that point in the service, and she would look at him, and she'd say, forget you. And she'd walk over there to the mother-in-law and say, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. You will be my people. I don't know about you. You will be. Now that would be awkward, right? Now none of you will ask me to marry you and ask for that scripture. <laughs> we got to be careful yanking scripture out of context and using them to fit our own needs. But Ruth says, I, Ruth says I, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. And in Ruth 18, I want us to read this together. You read that one so well. Ruth 1, 18. Ready, go. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And Naomi and Ruth started back for the promised land. And they went back to Naomi's hometown. And I don't know if you caught it this week in the reading but her hometown was none other than Bethlehem. You see, one of the things I hope you're starting to pick up by reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is you're starting to see that throughout the entire meta-narrative of Scripture, there is a foreshadowing over and over and over again of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Ruth comes with Naomi and they enter into Bethlehem. And the story continues. Look at Ruth. Remember I told you that Naomi's name means what? If you were following with me, it means what? Pleasant and sweet. Look at what the Bible says in verse 20 of chapter 1. Look, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because Almighty God has made my life. What is it? Not sweet. Are you bitter? 
Are you a bitter person? Has life dealt you a hand that you, you struggle with? The best thing you can do today, if that is the case, is to actually just acknowledge it. You see, what we tend to do is we don't, we don't give it an out, so we suffocate it and we suffocate it. Man, we are so guilty of this. We suffocate the hardships of life. Are you bitter? Naomi's not done. Look at verse 20b. We'll pick up in the middle of the verse through verse 21. Just a verse and a half. Let's read it out loud. Ruth 1, 20b through 21. Ready? Go. Almighty God has made my life very bitter, not sweet. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. What's going on? Why is such a story even in the Bible in the first place? Here's what's going on. Naomi is mad at God. Are you mad at God? Some of you, some of you didn't hear the question. Maybe you heard the question, but you don't even want to talk about it, so you've already moved on. No, 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 stop for a moment. Stop. Are you mad at God? And I don't mean you have to be mad at God about everything. But you might be. But what about certain instances in your life? What about certain things that you had hoped for, you had anticipated, you have dreamed of, and all of a sudden things are not turning out like you had hoped? Are you mad at God? Again, the best thing you can do today is actually acknowledge that and admit that. One of my favorite saints of all time in early church history was a woman by the name of St. Teresa of Avila. You want to read a great saint? Read about St. Teresa. One of the things I loved about her, not only her writings, not only her faith, not only her godliness. One of the things I loved about St. Teresa of Avila is that she... She was godly enough, you might say, and also earthy enough to shake her fist at God and say, I don't like this. I'm going to ask it one more time. Are you mad at God? It's okay. Part of healing through your storm Part of letting God take the wood chips of your life, the ashes of your life, and make them glorious again is for you to actually be, be man enough, woman enough, to actually be honest with God. What is this story all about? The one word that, that might come to your mind is the word loss. Is it just a story about loss? All these things that Naomi lost, is that what it's about? No, 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 I think there's more to it. You see, if we live on the lower story, if we look at Naomi's life and we get down here on the lower story, yes, I'll give you that, it's all about loss. She lost her land, she lost her people, she lost her husband, she lost her sons. Yeah, loss is going on down here, and you and I know all too well what it's like to lose things, do we not? 
Everybody here, every single, we're all on the same page here. Every single person here knows what it's like to have dreams that don't get fulfilled, to have loved ones walk away, to have loved ones die. That's loss. That's lower story kind of stuff. But up here, there's more going on than just loss. There, there's, there's another word, and we'll get to that word in a moment. But let me tell you about an interview I heard on the radio not long ago. There was a guy on the radio, and he was actually sharing a personal testimony. His name is Gerald Sitzer. He's actually a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington. He's having this interview and he's talking about what went down in his life. And this guy was in an automobile accident. They were hit by a drunk driver. Three generations died that day. His mother, dead. His wife, dead. His daughter, dead, and he walked away unscathed in the accident. I know. He wrote a book called A Grace Disguised. You might want to write that down if this is connecting with you. A Grace Disguised. He wrote this book about this horrific accident that happened in his life. Again, three generations gone. And he says this, the defining moment can be our response to the loss. You see it? Don't let the loss be your defining moment. Your response to the loss is your defining moment. I'll continue. The story doesn't have to be about the loss. The story could be about our response to the loss. In other words, church, Again, I hope, I hope you write this down if it's not in your teaching notes, but it might be. We don't get to decide what roles we play in the story of our lives. But we get to decide how we play the roles that are given to us. Did you hear me? We don't get to play or decide what roles we play in the hardships. Now, you hear me teach enough to know that you do have a role to play. You do have action. And we do get to play some roles. And we do get to decide what roles we play. But when it comes to the hardships of life and the losses of life, often we don't get to decide what role we play. But make no mistake about it, we do get to decide how we play the roles that are given to us. This is hard stuff today, church. There's no sugarcoating this as if I ever sugarcoat anything, right? <laughs> this is hard, hard stuff. I told you I'd tell you the one word. It's not lost today. The one word is not lost. If there's one word to describe the story of Naomi, the word is not lost. The word is redemption. Write it out. It's redemption. Don't let the losses of your life define you. Don't let the hardships of your life define you. 
Let your response to that define you. And the way in which you respond to it is you realize that God is a God, again, who takes the wood chips and the ruins and the ashes. And if you will let him, he will redeem it and build something beautiful. You just have to be willing to enter into the story. You just have to be willing to grapple with, wrestle with the lower story losses that you have and yet let God from the upper story intersect and build something beautiful. So I want to do something different today. I want to change it up. I want you to hear the word of God read in a different kind of way. And I've tried to help you today. I've taken large chunks of scripture and I've extrapolated out key parts because I want every single person to leave here today really understanding the story of Naomi and Elimelech and Orpah and Ruth and Moab. And I want you to really get this story because some of you are hearing it for the very first time. Others of you are like, man, I remember hearing that when I was a kid, but ooh, it's fuzzy. So I've grabbed chunks. And I want to read them for you in a different kind of way today. Can we pray as we get ready to just hear the word of God? Father, thank you for such scripture. Thank you that you are a redeeming God. Thank you that you take the losses and the hurts and the pains of our lives. And Father, you build something incredibly beautiful if we will simply allow you to do so. Speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side of the family named Boaz. He was a wealthy, prominent man from the clan of Elimelech. And one day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field so I can gather grain behind whoever permits me to do so. You may go, my daughter. So Ruth went and gathered grain in the fields behind the harvesters. Now she just happened to end up in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now at that very moment, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. May the Lord be with you. They replied, may the Lord bless you. Boaz asked his servant in charge of the harvesters. To whom does this young woman belong? The servant in charge of the harvesters replied, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the region of Moab. She asked me, May I follow the harvesters and gather grain among the bundles? And since she has arrived, she has been working hard from morning until now. So Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my dear. Do not leave to gather grain in another field. You need not go beyond the limits of this field. You can, go along, you can go alongside my female workers. Take note of the field where the men are harvesting and follow behind them with the female workers. I will tell the men to leave you alone. And when you are thirsty, you may go to the water jars and drink some of the water that the servants draw. Ruth knelt before him. And with her forehead to the ground, said to him, Why are you so kind and so attentive to me, even though I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, 
I have been given a full report of all that you have done for your mother-in-law following the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother as well as your homeland and came here to live among people that you did not know previously. May the Lord reward your efforts. May your acts of kindness be repaid fully by the Lord God of Israel from whom you have sought protection. You are really being kind to me, sir, for you have reassured and encouraged me, your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. Later, during the mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and have some food. Dip your bread in the vinegar. So she sat down beside the harvesters, and then he handed her some roasted grain. She ate until she was full, and she saved the rest. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz told his male servants, let her gather grain, even among the bundles. Don't chase her off, but make sure you pull out ears of grain for her and drop them so that she can gather them up. Don't tell her not to do so. So she gathered grain in the field until evening. And when she threshed what she had gathered, it came to about 30 pounds of barley. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much grain she had gathered. Then Ruth gave her the roasted grain she had saved from mealtime, and her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you gather grain today? Where did you work? May the one who took notice of you be rewarded. So Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, she said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be rewarded by the Lord, because he has shown loyalty to the living on behalf of the dead. This man is a close relative of ours. He is our guardian. Ruth the Moabite replied, He even told me, You may go along beside my servants until they have finished gathering all my harvest. It is good, my daughter, that you should go out to work in the fields with his female servants. That way you will not be harmed, which could happen to you in another field. So Ruth worked beside Boaz's female servants gathering grain until the end of the barley harvest, as well as the wheat harvest. After that, she stayed home with her mother-in-law. At that time, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you so that you will be secure. Now Boaz, whose, whose female servant you worked, he is our close relative. Look, tonight he is winnowing barley at the threshing floor, so go bathe yourself. Rub on some perfumed oil and get dressed up. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he finishes his meal. When he gets ready to go to sleep, take careful notice of the place where he lies down. Then go, uncover his legs, and lie down beside him. He will tell you what you should do. I will do everything you have told me to do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her to do. In the middle of the night, Boaz was startled and turned over. He saw a woman lying beside him. He said, Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant. Marry your servant, for you are a guardian of a family interest. May you be rewarded by the Lord, my dear. Don't worry. I intend to do for you everything you propose. For everyone in the village knows that you are a worthy woman. Now, yes, it is true that I am a guardian, but there is another guardian who is a closer relative than I am. Remain here tonight 
Then in the morning, if he agrees to marry you, fine, let him do so. But if he does not want to do so, I promise, as surely as the Lord lives, I will marry you. Sleep here until morning. When Ruth returned to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did things turn out for you, my daughter? Ruth told her all about the man and what he had done for her. She said, He gave me these 60 pounds of barley, for he has said to me, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Stay put, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has taken care of the matter today. Now Boaz went up to the village gate and sat there. Then along came the guardian whom Boaz had mentioned to Ruth. Boaz said, Come here and sit down, friend. So he came and sat down. Boaz chose ten of the village leaders, and they sat down. Then Boaz said to the guardian, Naomi, who has returned from the region of Moab, is selling the portion of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I am legally informing you. Acquire it before those sitting here and before the leaders of my people. If you want to exercise your right to redeem it, then do so. But if not, then tell me so I may know. For you possess the first option to redeem it, and I am next in line after you. The man replied, I will redeem it. Now when you acquire the field from Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of our deceased relative, in order to preserve his family name by raising up a descendant who will inherit this property. The guardian said, Then I am unable to redeem it, for I would ruin my own inheritance in that case. You may exercise, and here's the word, church, my redemption option, for I am unable to do so. Then Boaz said to the leaders and all the people, You are my witnesses today that I have acquired from Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of Malon, as my wife to raise up a descendant who will inherit his property, so the name of the deceased might not disappear from among his relatives and from his village. You are my witnesses today. So Moaz married Ruth, and they conceived, and they had a son. And can you imagine the joy that Naomi, the grandmother, must have felt when she took that grandchild and put that grandchild on her lap? They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And 28 generations later, another son would be born. His name was Jesus, born in the city of David, born of a virgin, our ultimate guardian who wants to redeem the ashes and the stories and the losses of our lives. The Word of God for you, the people of God. I want you to sit in this moment and just linger here. We're going to sing a song over you. No need to stand. Just think about your own story and let this song minister to you. And I will then come and finish our message today.
Are you letting your losses and the hardship of life define you? Or might you lock into this incredibly important word today? The word is redemption. And realize that God in the upper story is often doing things of which we know not. And if we will allow him, he'll take and connect the dots of our lives and actually build something incredibly beautiful. Two quick nuggets that you don't want to miss in light of this story and then I'll be done. Number one, God redeems Naomi's story of loss with an unlikely friendship. Right in the word friendship. God redeems Naomi's story of loss with an unlikely friendship. And often God does exactly that. If you are here and you can count true friendships, I mean true friendships, like on one hand you're a blessed person. Do you, do you have any people that you do life with deeply? Do you have a friend or two or three? And often I hear people, they say this to me, I just want a good friend. I just need a good friend. And I get that and I'm with you. And, and I, I've been there. I mean, you might surprise you, but there have been times even in our ministry that Amy Lynn and I have felt very, very lonely. And you might think, how can that be in what you do? Trust me. And I hear people say sometimes, I just want a good friend. I just need a good friend. And I want to let you know, if you want a good friend and you need a good friend, you need to be a good friend. Hello. Hello. You stop worrying so much about getting a good friend or two or three and start being a really good friend and you will end up having some good friends. But friendship, that's the thing that strikes me in this passage is there's this unbelievable friendship that develops and God redeems the story in that kind of way. Here, here's the second thing. God redeems Naomi's loss through the undeserved kindness of Boaz. God redeems Naomi's loss through the undeserved kindness of Boaz. Often out of nowhere, when we least expect it, God will bring about some person, some human agent, something, someone, the church, and we'll get undeserved kindness because that is just what God does. God has been so kind to us as a church. Unwarranted, undeserved, and he'll be that way for us. But we just have to learn to pick up the pieces and connect the dots and see what God might be up to. I want to invite you today to the act of surrender. I want to invite you to, to just think with me today for just a moment about what area of your life do you just need to surrender. You need to stop letting loss define you. Stop letting pain and hurt and regret define you. And you just need to surrender. You know, surrender is a powerful word. When we started this church 14 years ago, we were, we were in East Chapel Hill High School. And um, we left and went to a little church in downtown Chapel Hill. And uh, we, we found this land, 36 acres of land here in the epicenter of North Carolina. And we knew God was calling us to get this land. 
I'd walked it, prayed it, and, and God just delivered it. And, but yet we still had to get into a campaign to get it, right? So we embarked upon our very first campaign to build this building. The first phase. Not the second phase that you're experiencing now, but the first phase. We went back to Chapel Hill High School for a Vision Day celebration. And we went back to worship in the same auditorium where we started this church years before. And, and in that service that day, we had Holy Communion. And I had it at each person's seat. And there was a little communion packet. And then there was this little ceramic glass cup, if you will. Not clear. It was a ceramic cup. And they were different colors. And I instructed the people to, to take out their grape juice and peel the top off and pour the grape juice into the ceramic cup. And so they had their piece of bread and they had their little ceramic cup. And we, we received Holy Communion together. And they just loved that ceramic cup. I could hear them go, ooh, when I told them to reach under their seat and grab the cup. So, so then the, they, they, after they drank the, the grape juice and we celebrated Holy Communion, I said, reach back under your seat. There's this permanent marker. I see some of you smiling because you were there. And, and they, re, they got the permanent marker. And I said, now I want you to write, write on the permanent marker things that, that you need to give up, things that you need to surrender, maybe some sins that you want God to forgive you of, write on that little ceramic cup. So they all, ooh, they just fell in love more with their ceramic cup. And they just wrote their little stories and their sins and, and their dreams and their joys. And they just wrote it all on the ceramic cup. And I said, all right, it's, it's time to commit to God. It's time to go take our post. It's time to go take our land, our promised land, to build this church for God. And I said, here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to invite you forward, and they're going to be singing a song. And as they sing the song, you're going to come forward. And, and if you've been to East Chapel Hill High School, you know in the auditorium there's an orchestra pit, a big orchestra pit right here. And I said, I want you to come down this aisle right here, and I want you to cross over the orchestra pit. We only had about four or 500 people back then. I said, I want you to cross over the orchestra pit. And when you get right at the orchestra pit, I want you to take that little ceramic cup, that little ceramic cup that you love so much, and I want you to take it and slam it down in the orchestra pit. And they looked at me like I was crazy. They said, what? I said, oh, yeah, I want you to slam it down. We had placed microphones down there. And those four or 500 people with me took that ceramic cup and all those things they wrote on that cup in their dreams. And they walked across that orchestra pit. It was a concrete floor down there. They slammed them down. And you could just hear for about 20 minutes, 20 minutes, what I called the sound of surrender. When it was over, I got somebody to sweep up all the pieces. Some of you have wondered about this. Maybe you've never even noticed it. Right outside these doors to the left when you go to the restroom, have you ever noticed that big, beautiful piece of artwork? I found a local artist after we swept up all the pieces, and I asked them to do something with it. I had no idea what they were going to do. I said, give me something. I don't know. She worked on it for about a year and came back and presented that's all the broken surround. You can go out there today, by the way. You can get close and you can read people's stuff. And see what we as a young church surrender to God. It's the sound of surrender. It's letting go. It's not white knuckling the mess of this world and this life, but it is about letting go and surrendering. It's about realizing that God's got you. He's got your back. He will go with you. He is the ultimate guardian 
who watches over your life even when you don't feel him there. And if you and I will just learn to take the the lower story of our life and intersect it with the upper story, we will see that God will take the mess of our life The mess, you'll see this in your teaching notes, he'll take the mess of our lives or the messiness of our lives and he will make it our very message. It's redemption. Your greatest mess can become your greatest message. But you gotta see what God's doing. You gotta work the lower story and the upper story. I told you I went to Buffalo, last story. I went to Buffalo, and um, yeah, Buffalo, man. God bless Buffalo. I'm talking June. I'm talking 40 degrees, man. Coats, blue sky. I mean, uh, gray skies, not blue skies. I was yearning for the Carolina blue skies. It was, it was, it was Buffalo, man. Sorry if you came from Buffalo. You have landed at the southern part of heaven. I'm a Carolina boy, man, born and raised. But, but not only was, I mean, I had a good time. I went because I had to go, and I went, you know, I did what I had to do. But, but what I didn't tell you earlier was it was the, it was the trip from you know where. It, it was to get there and back was the hardest trip I've ever done in my life. So Sunday, after I was with you last Sunday, I headed to the airport because I had to go. We had to fly out that day. They wanted me to come in Sunday morning. I said, nope, got to be at New Hope. I'll come out later. So I went to the airport. Now, I don't know what you do on Sunday afternoons, but here's what I do. I go into a coma every Sunday afternoon. And so I'm already angry, you know, I'm just kind of ill, you know. I'm like, I don't want to go, I just want to go home and sleep, you know what I'm saying? And I showed up at the airport, and I'm trying to be a Christian, and, uh, and, and everybody's getting on my nerves, man. And I'm like, why am I even going? I don't even want to go. And, and dadgummit, why are they having this conference in stinking Buffalo, man? Why not Orlando, you know what I'm saying? Los Angeles, you know what I'm saying? New York, anything but Buffalo, man. So I, I get to my gate, but, you know, I do pretty well getting through all that. I get to my gate, and they said, Dr. Kelly, we're sorry the, the flight has been delayed. And I said, all right, that happens, you know, no big deal. So I went over, and I said, but it was a long delay. It was about a two-hour delay. So I went and got a seat in the corner, and, and um, <laughs> it's probably embarrassing for you, but your pastor passed out. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm, I was probably drooling, man. I mean, Sunday, Sunday naps, man, are great for me. So I sleep like the whole full two hours. And I wake up, because I kind of set my phone, you know, I, I wake up and, and I see somebody, a staff member is there, so we talk a little bit. But then, then I go back over to the gate, right? Another delay. Another delay. We're sorry. Second delay. Then I'm getting mad, right? Now I just woke up and I'm, 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 I'm halfway a Christian now. But, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm the, I'm the you, you know how you are when you get up from a nap prematurely? So I, I'm, now I'm really mad. So I go over there again, but I can't sleep anymore because I've already slept. So I start doing a little work. Go back the third time, third delay. Third delay. And they said, um, what we can do is we can get you to LaGuardia. I was flying through LaGuardia. Bad idea. They said, they said we can get you to LaGuardia, but uh, you've missed your layover. I'm like, you know, I kind of knew that. I kind of have a, fly, a flight plan. I said, well, what are you going to do? They said, well, you can sleep in LaGuardia. I'm like... Bless your heart. Um, no. <laughs> so so I, I'm like, no, I don't want to sleep in LaGuardia, man. I'll go home. I'll sleep in my bed. Can y'all get me there tomorrow? They said, yeah. So I go home, sleep, go back up to the airport the next day. They get me there. I do the conference thing. It's, you know, like I said, it's all right. Um, <laughs> 
I just want to be home, man. And, and so then I go back to the airport Wednesday. I was just there for two days. Monday, flew in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Came back on Wednesday. And I went back to the airport. And I got to the airport on the way back. And I checked into the gate. And they sent me on into the plane. And I'm thinking, yes, God is good. This plane's going home. Glory, hallelujah. And we sit. And we sit. And we sit 90 flipping minutes on the plane not moving. Of which time they then come on the, the speaker and say, um, we need you to deboard the plane. We have snacks for you outside. <laughs> Would you think less of me if I told you I thought about where they could put those snacks? But I didn't say anything. I'm too real with you people up here. <laughs> so we deboarded the plane, but I got off, and the guy knew me before because we kind of talked a little bit. He goes, Dr. Kelly, there's a, there's a plane right at the gate right over there, gate number 25. We were at like 27, so gate 25. He goes, they're going to LaGuardia, and right now the computer is saying that they're leaving. Go! I go to get in the plane. And I'm thinking all the while, it sounds good, but if, why would they let one plane go to LaGuardia and not the other? So I sit, and I sit, and I sit. Not 90 minutes, but 65 minutes later. We're sorry for the inconvenience. We need you to deboard the plane immediately. We have snacks for you outside. This time, I came closer to telling them where they could put those snacks, but I didn't. Went outside, and I went up to the guy, and I'm, I'm like, man, I'm really trying to keep it together here, but this is really getting old. I said, what's going on at LaGuardia? Why are no planes going in? You probably didn't know this. I didn't know this. He goes, oh, uh, President Barack Obama is in the New York area because he's on the Jimmy Fallon show tonight, and they've shut all flights into the airport. Now, listen, I knew the dude was important. I know the president's important, but come on. You're going to shut down the whole airport because you're going on Jimmy Fallon. Come on. So, so, so I go, really? They go, yeah. I said, well, all right, listen. Why don't y'all just forget about LaGuardia? Get me to Atlanta. You get me to Atlanta, I can get on a Delta flight because they go back and forth from Atlanta all day long. Get me to Atlanta and I will make it home. He goes, well, I didn't think about that. I thought, bless your heart. Um, so then he sends me racing down the airport to another gate. I get at that gate, and I'm in there. And you can tell this plane's going places. It's moving, right? And right before they get ready to close the door, this woman comes on the plane. I don't know, mid-40s, late-40s, whatever. She comes on the plane, and, and there was a seat right beside me that was, that, that was empty. Would you think less of me if I was kind of praying that it would stay empty? Sorry, sorry, it was a long day. But I knew immediately that she was going to be okay because she was so giddy. I mean, she was like in her mid-40s, and she's like, I've never flown before. I'm so excited to fly. <laughs> and she's so excited. And she's just she's taking out magazines. She's looking around. She's talking to everybody. She goes, I'm so excited to fly. This is awesome. This is awesome. And I'm going, well, good. <laughs> Welcome. You're going to love the flight. They closed the door. Five minutes later, they come on. We have discovered that the wing on this airplane is loose. 
four-letter words started to formulate deep in my brain stem. And it was all I could do to catch them before they went off my tongue. So then she goes, oh, the wing's loose. I, I said, yes, the wing's loose. I'm learning this with you. <laughs> she, goes, she goes, what does that mean? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I said, I, I, don't, I don't know. So, so, so they said, deboard the plane. We have another one. So we went to the other plane, and she's, she's still excited about flying. I mean, I tried to help her explain. I was like, listen, it's really good that they discovered the loose wing while we were on the ground. You know what I'm saying? I said, this is good. I said, God is with us. We're, we're good. And she goes, really? I said, yeah, we're good. So they sent us to another plane pretty quick. So we go to another plane, and we sit down, and I drop into the seat, dude, and I'm just like, I gotta sleep. Now, some of you can't sleep on a plane. I was born to sleep on planes. I'm the kind of guy, I sometimes will fall asleep before the plane takes off and wake up when the wheels touch down. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so so I, 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 I talked to her a little bit more, and when I can't take it anymore, I fall asleep. I got the window, she's got the aisle. We're flying, and I'm sleeping. And church, out of nowhere, Bam, she locked onto my arm. And camera work, do your job. I mean, she's locked on, man. And I'm like, when she, when I finally pulled my arm away, I could see her fingernail prints in my arm. And, and I, ah! And, and she's got me. She goes, what's that? And I looked around. I, was, I, said, I said, we've hit turbulence. She goes, what's going on? I knew I shouldn't fly. And I go, I go, I go, no, no. I pulled my arm back and, and I looked at her and literally, guys, she was more afraid than any human being I've, I've ever looked into their eyes. She was, she was in meltdown mode. And I didn't know what to say, but here's what I said. I said, it's going to be all right. Some of you need to hear that today. It's going to be all right. Though your marriage might not be what you want it to be, stay with God and it's going to be all right. Though your children might not be acting like you want them to act, stay with God and it's going to be all right. Though your vocation might not be what you want it to be, stick with God and it's going to be all right. Though your home life might not be what you want it to be, stick with God and it's going to be all right. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one that takes the losses of our lives and he builds something beautiful. He takes the ashes, he takes the mess, and he will make it your message if you will just trust God to do what only God can do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.